Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. We are brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Find them on the Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend. He makes it all happen in CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Gentlemen, a lot to talk about. We're going to have bowls coming up this weekend. We are ready to rock and roll there, uh, but let's talk Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman first. Is this, um, I believe they said this was the biggest um, lopsided vote in a while, even though it was still closer than expected. It was still Jaden Daniels by a lot here. So Nick, uh, seems like they got this right. That's who I figured would win. Um, no real controversy here at all whatsoever, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I was waiting for a little while. I, I said for a few weeks, might have mentioned it on here. I know it came up on the tailgate or a Saturday morning show at uh, Campus to Canton. I was sort of waiting for a Heisman moment from one of the you know, most likely playoff teams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, um, those guys I thought really had an opportunity to, to shine in the Pac-12 championship game or maybe the last week of the regular season. Uh, I thought maybe there was a chance that, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, could have gone off, had a huge game against Michigan or, or, you know, if they win that and then have an opportunity in the Big Ten championship game. Um, but that really just never happened. And, and so uh, we didn't get what had been sort of an easy Heisman winner in most years, sort of the, you know, quarterback or top player on the best team. There really wasn't somebody who was just clearly head and shoulders above the rest in that category. But if you go beyond that and and what's been sort of the, the next best case are the just absolute standout performers on maybe a you know second or third tier team LSU very very good team but three losses were definitely not in the playoff mix not in the SEC championship mix but Jaden Daniels stat line and his performance on the field especially in the you know second half of the season uh was just incredible and too good to ignore so um because there really wasn't that you know, put your team on the on on your shoulders and carry them in a dramatic fashion into the playoff. Michael Penix was closest to that, but still didn't really. You know, they rode Dylan Johnson at the at the end of that Pac-12 championship game. He was the one that they, you know, shouldered the load to to finish it off and get them to the playoff. So um, there just really wasn't that Heisman moment or whatever you want to call it that uh, allowed one of those you know playoff contending players mvp mvp type player on on that top team uh to overtake Jaden daniels so you know i i definitely understand it by by the time the the conference championship games were over it was pretty clear that that Jaden daniels was going to be the heisman winner and and it you know probably shouldn't be all that close xavier your thoughts on daniels winning the uh the heisman this seemed non-controversial but you know you're you maybe you got a controversial take what do you got my controversial take is i don't care who had a heisman moment it was <clears throat> it, it should have been him or not yeah. um this 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 felt like the rg3 season all over again it felt like a year where you can have you know a Lamar. bunch of other 
yeah, you know, a bunch of other kids who had excellent seasons, but none of them were playing at the level of Jane Daniels. And I think that was always my biggest thing is it was one thing for, you know, somebody to have like a quote unquote Heisman moment or whatever. And I think in some respects, that would have been really awesome to see the voters have to pick and choose through that. But I think what was, you know, pretty indicative is he didn't just, it wasn't like he was just stat padding. And I, I think the thing that makes it funny is like LSU needed all of that. And I think that's probably why it was also so impressive for him uh, to put up those kind of numbers, because imagine like Jaden Daniels puts up like a middle of the road, even a good season. That's probably like a seven and five ball club. Right. You know, um, and when you have it, you know, when, when, when realistically, like the discrepancy between your team winning and your team losing is this kid having to go for almost 6,000 total yards or 55, whatever the, the, the ridiculous number is, then you realize like, oh, no, that's even more impressive because you knew game in and game out and the other teams knew game in and game out. If you didn't perform in that manner, you were losing like no conversation. No, you know, no, no deliberation. If, if Jaden Daniels and, and LSU didn't go out there and put up 40 in most games, they were losing. And you saw that all season long. You saw that in the Bama game. The two, the two or, or, or one and a half drives, he was unavailable. They lose by 14. Yeah. You know, um, the the game against Missouri, if he's out for, you know, he's out for any time in that ball game, they lose that game pretty handedly. So, like, you know, it, it's – it's one of those seasons that you'll look back on and you just will remember like, Oh yeah, that kid went bonkers. Um, and I mean, look, the other piece to it and the funniest part to me is, you know, my hopes of my, my favorite football team drafting him have probably gone out the window. This kid's draft stock has, has risen through the roof. Um, but I love it for him because I think he's insanely talented and deserves all the plaudits that he's gotten this year. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, not controversial. Pretty easy win. Um, you know, it was cool to see all those guys. I think they did. They say it was the most Heisman uh, former winners that showed up ever or something. It was uh, it was a pretty cool ceremony. So um, glad to see him. I did see when he pulled out a speech, whoever was saying I was at Ravitch was standing right behind him. He was like, whoa, because uh, it was uh, a lot of pages. But he think he thinks everyone from his parents down to the janitors. Great kid. I uh, can't wait to see him at the next level. Um, before we go on, we're going to talk a little bit about the transfer portal and some coaching changes, but I want to let you guys know that Campus to Canton is hosting a bowl pick em versus the spread contest on ESPN this year. It's free to play, but anyone, but if anyone can beat CFB Winning Edge, Nick, and his projections, you'll be entered to win an autographed jersey. So the name is Campus to Canton Bowl Challenge. The password is c 2 See and get on in there and see if you can beat Nick. If you can beat Nick, you could possibly win a jersey. So I will be signing up as soon as we are done with this. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was like is this insider? Could we do it as well? Because I'm oh, going yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm going to crush Nick. Let's let's get after it. Let's now I, I did I, I usually am not uh antagonistic or braggadocious uh, <laughs> or anything like that. Numbers have been uh, great in bowl season have always been your thing. <laughs> But if you saw uh, my my tweet when uh, when the the C two C main site posted this earlier today, uh, yeah, good good luck uh, beating <laughs> beating these numbers. They've been 
pretty good uh, bowl season has been more often than not our best stretch of the season. 68.3% last year against the spread, 55% or better in four of our five seasons. So uh, we're, we're built for this. You know, this is, this is my uh, Super Bowl. So yeah, I guess <laughs> get in there and, uh, and bring it. But you better be, you better be ready to, to win the whole thing if, uh, if you want to beat these numbers. I, I, I hope, I hope you bring. Uh, Here comes this- 2021 and 27. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I hope you're uh, this, this bragging next year when the NCAA game is out. So uh, <laughs> we will have a great time playing that. I'm sure the three of us, but let's talk about some of these guys that have uh, transferred. We have some QB commits here. Dylan Gabriel is officially on his way from Oklahoma to Oregon. Riley Leonard did end up at Notre Dame moving from Duke. Chandler Rogers is going from North Texas to Cal. Tyler Van Dyke ends up at a new place in Wisconsin. Grayson McCall, like, I mean, right before we started here, uh, announced that he is going to NC State. Blake Shapin is moving from Baylor to Mississippi State. And Taylor Green is going from Boise State to Arkansas. And um, there's some interesting moves here. We still have some guys that are uh, in the portal and waiting. Cam Ward seems like he might be debating between Miami or Florida State. Uh, Dante Moore is still in there. Will Howard has been uh, from Kansas State has been talking to USC and Miami. Kyle McCord may be looking at Nebraska. That's interesting. Daquan Finn is still out there. DJU is still out there. Maybe Florida State. Uh, Curtis Work, I believe, may be going to the NFL. We'll see what happens with him. Will Rogers and Jordan McLeod all still available as we hit record on this. But, Nick, uh, tell me about these quarterback commits and who is the best one left now that we've had some of the big names commit? Uh, well, so for the, the guys who have committed, and, and there have been, I think even since we started recording, it looked like MJ Morris uh, has committed to Maryland, so uh, has a, a, some starting experience at NC State, uh, ends up at, at potentially a, a pretty decent spot there at Maryland. But uh, the top two to me stand out. The first you mentioned, Dylan Gabriel to Oregon, uh, following in the footsteps of Marcus Mariota there. Um, looked like, according to the tweet, maybe he got some sort of uh, special permission to wear the number eight. I'm not sure if that's been officially retired or not, but uh, there was there was some connection there. But um, I'm sure a, a hero of Gabriel's uh, growing up in Hawaii, Mariota, and, and uh, you know, impressive Heisman winner, of course, at Oregon. Um so pretty excited to see how that work should be a relatively smooth transition from Bo Nix to Dylan Gabriel. Uh, Riley Leonard to Notre Dame. We mentioned this right when Leonard uh, entered the portal. It sounded like it was pretty much a done deal. I think there were a couple of rumors out there maybe that you know Ohio State uh, might have had an, an interest in Riley Leonard, but um, ends up going to Notre Dame as expected. I'm I'm curious to see how that one plays out. Like I, I feel like Gabriel, um, you know, the reason he's he's going to Oregon, it sounds like rumors, reports, whatever, uh, didn't get a very uh, good ob- evaluation from the NFL. Um, sounded like you know perhaps he was going to be a very late round pick or or maybe even an undrafted type guy so why not go to oregon and and you know have a a chance to compete for a national championship 
Um, Riley Leonard sound it, it, it sounded like earlier in the season NFL folks were uh, relatively high on him, but of course he um, was severely limited by injury the last you know several weeks of the season, and even before that didn't play all that well. So give gets an opportunity to go to Notre Dame following Sam Hartman. Um, and we'll see what he can do that, that Notre Dame roster, at least as we speak here on, you know, mid December, um, it still has a lot of work to do. Notre Dame is going to be active in the transfer portal still is, uh, or, or has been, I should say, um, the wide receiver group is going to be incredibly thin, during the bowl game, they've already, you know, taken some steps to rectify that. Brought in, you know, uh, Chris M- uh, Mitchell uh, from FIU, really productive player. Um, there's going to be, you know, I, I think a pretty big overhaul offensively for Notre Dame. Lost, you know, an All-American offensive lineman in. Uh, Joe Alt earlier today officially announced that he was off to the NFL. So it, it's going to be interesting to me to see how that offense is is sort of shaped around Riley Leonard. And, you know, what's it going to look like? Are they going to be able, you know, are they going to do the same things that they did this year with Sam Hartman? Or are they going to uh, switch things up a little bit? It's going to be the second year for offensive coordinator Gerard Parker there. Um, I don't know. There, there are just more questions to me. It's, it's just not as easy to see a plug and play situation. And then the other ones, uh, I think there are some, you know, reasons to be optimistic about Tyler Van Dyke going to Wisconsin, that the Longo offense has been really, really good in the past, got off to a little bit of a rough start in his first season this year. Uh, Grayson McCall has won a lot of football games, has been very, very productive at Coastal Carolina, um, is going to go back into what should be a more fun offense uh, at NC State. Robert Nye, the offensive coordinator there, uh, has a history of doing some really creative things. It's not exactly what Jamie Chadwell you know, did at Coastal Carolina when Grayson McCall was at his best, but um, should be a little bit more of a step in that direction than what we saw, I think, this year at Coastal Carolina. I'm curious to see, though, if, you know, how healthy really is Grayson McCall. He's, he's missed a good chunk of time uh, at the tail end of each of the last two seasons. It doesn't really look like the same quarterback that was so good in 2020, 2021. Um, Van Dyke, obviously, got benched this year at Miami. He doesn't look like the same player that he was when when NFL draft uh, buzz was really surrounding him earlier in his career. You know, Taylor Green going to Arkansas from Boise State. We saw, what, a 90-yard touchdown run in the Mountain West Championship game, but he also lost the you know grip on that starting job earlier in the year. Uh, Chandler Rogers going from North Texas to Cal. He did not start the season uh, at, at North Texas. So there are, uh, you know, some guys here that, that really do have a lot of potential. Uh, but Gabriel and Leonard are, are clearly the the two, I think, most trustworthy out of this group. And, and both of them, you know, are, are 
not exactly slam dunks, even though I do think uh, Gabriel's a, a good fit there. But um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. Cam Ward uh, sounded like took a visit to Miami on Wednesday, has a trip planned to Florida State on Thursday. Um, I saw right before we started to record that it sounds like Cal McCord will not be going to Nebraska. I know there's a little bit of a, a situation going on there. Uh, five-star high school quarterback uh, who is committed to Georgia. What was his name? Rayola? You guys know I'm not a, a yeah, yeah, recruiting guy. But you're good. I couldn't couldn't help but notice this yeah, one. I got you. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he has family with some really strong Nebraska ties, including, I believe, an uncle on the staff, um, and is is strongly considering, I think there are even, you know, even some uh, crystal balls out there uh, saying that he is going to flip from Georgia to Nebraska. Uh, Kyle McCord sounds like as of, uh, you know, 7 o'clock on the, the East Coast on Wednesday, uh, maybe is no longer uh, expected to end up in Nebraska. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Will Rogers has been uh, tied to Washington for a long time. Seems like the the next uh, to step into that Michael Penix role. Um but there are, I'm sure, plenty of twists and turns to, to follow, um, you know, that are that we still have not seen. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get another big name or two in the portal uh, before all is said and done. So uh, it'll be fun to see how it all shakes out. But um, as of right now, you know, I, I feel like Oregon and Notre Dame probably feel pretty good about uh, where they are. Um, but uh, yeah, both both of those. Uh, still are, are less than a hundred percent, you know, chance of, of, uh, total success, I suppose. Yeah. I saw, uh, I saw a post on, I believe Reddit where it was some crazy Georgia fan from a Georgia message board was like, look, I'm not asking anybody to break the law, but rail is about to get on a flight to Nebraska. And if you wanted to, you know, find a way to make him stay, that would be great. You know, and I was like, Ooh, yikes. Yeah. A listener uh, sent that to me, but uh, Xavier, when you look at these quarterbacks moving, is there one that stands out above the rest and uh, yeah. of the guys left to commit, who would you like to see where the most? I think right now for me, it's the rumors that Will Rogers is going to head to Washington. Uh, that is a very fun situation. Um, I think, and, and, I, and we, we I talked about this last episode. I, I felt like this year there was a lot off the field, as we know, um, that just happened with that roster. Uh, but more than anything, I just felt like, you know, the kids just, you know, it was hard for them to have their head in it all game. On top of that, we'll play with a lot of injury. Um, and you're telling me that a guy who I think is one of the better passers, just talent-wise, in the, in, the, in the SEC over the last three or four years has an opportunity to go to an offense last year it's going to lose some talent. Obviously, he's going to lose Roma Dunes, uh, but I believe brings back Jalen McMillan. Um, and I may – and brings back Polk. I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, uh, I don't think any of them have, have said for sure one way or the other. But right, speculation but, yeah. is that yeah. Dunes is probably gone. And and I think, at least until he, he really struggled in the month of November, it seemed like Polk was on his way out. Yeah. But uh, that one I think is more close to 50-50. Right. So – you know, and just ecstatic about the idea of him having, you know, the weapons or at least, you know, two thirds of the weaponry that that Penix was able to have, of, you know, the, over this past year. Right. So Will Rogers, for me, is probably the leader in the clubhouse for like favorite situation uh, that could possibly happen. 
Um, wherever Cam Ward goes, congratulations to that school. Hold on. You good? Okay. Um, you know, congratulations to whatever school does get him because um, he's one hell of a player um, and will probably, and depending on how he plays, will be the number one, could be a top five quarterback next year in, in, in draft class, could be number one, depending on, you know, who you talk to, um, if he really makes that jump. Um, I want to see Will Howard. I want to see Will Howard go to. I, I would love to see Will Howard go to SC. Um, I know he'll probably. I, I, if I was him, I'd probably pick Miami. Just just thinking about you know how much of a culture change I can make there. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, but I would love to see him go to SC. Um, obviously, we know the kind of quarterback factory that Lincoln Ryland has. Lincoln Riley, excuse me, has out there. Um, and then Kyle McCord's in a weird, weird situation now with the whole Dylan Raiola situation. Um, he's in a very odd place. Um, there's, you know, I, you know, I, I thought he was one of those kids who would have slotted in nicely in Nebraska, right? Kind of not, not necessarily hidden away from view, but had an opportunity to go out there, um, kind of figure it out, you know, uh, but, but with a solid resume. Now with the rumors that Raiola and his, to, I don't know if you said this part, but his, his dad obviously played there. Um, and, um, now his uncle is an old line coach at Nebraska. So that's where the family ties come into play. Um, but yeah, just understanding how, how unique of a situation that is now for Kyle McCord, seeing where he goes will be, will be fairly interesting. Um, <laughs> DJ Uyunglele at Florida State. I know there's a lot of Florida State fans that have already reached out to me. They're like, hell no, please. <laughs> Um, they don't, you know, after watching him at Clemson for three years or for, for however many, however long, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of faith in that, in that kid necessarily. Um, as far as, uh, ACC teams are concerned. So they're not necessarily ecstatic with the idea of, uh, bringing DJ back into the ACC, um, at, at, at this point. So I would love, like I said, I would love to see. Cam Ward probably Cam Ward Cam Ward at Florida State would be like extremely exciting with how open Mike Norvell likes his offense. He'd be going in there with a dearth of talent. Um, you know, obviously with, with the coffins pretty pretty bare from this current this current roster. Uh, but that kid's more than talented enough to make up for some of the things that they'll be missing going into next year. Um, as far as the guys that are already um, signed, love Taylor Green. Y'all, I've raved about him all all year. Um, up until obviously the time he got benched. Um, yeah. So I, I just think, you know, like I said, McCall going to NC state just feels right. He's a gamer. They're going to love him there. I think he's going to be, I mean, obviously when you're the starting quarterback of any school, you're the big man on campus, but I think he can be the big man on campus already just because of the style in which he plays. And he's going to give NC state his absolute all game in and game out, no matter what. So those are my favorites of, of what, who has already been committed and who hasn't just yet. Um, but I think right now the quarterback carousel for me has been fun. Uh, I think it's been interesting. I think all the teams that right now, I think the quarterbacks that have moved have all, for the most part, in my head, made sense. There hasn't been one where I'm just like, you don't fit that system um, or vice versa. So I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how these guys pan out um, and what they're able to do at their, uh, at their new schools. Uh, all right. We also have some non-QB transfers. I know as surprising as that is to hear, we still have some non-QBs. Rocket Sanders going from Arkansas to South Carolina. The running back, Marcus Carroll, running back from Georgia State going to Missouri. Toriano Pride, the CB going from Clemson to Missouri. RJ Oben 
the defensive lineman going from Duke to Notre Dame, Deion Burks going uh, from Purdue to Oklahoma, the wide receiver, Chris Paul, the linebacker going from Arkansas to Ole Miss, Chris Mitchell, wide receiver from FIU going to Notre Dame, Thor Griffin going from Harvard to Louisville, uh, Tyler Johnson, offensive lineman going from Houston to Colorado, Jay Macklin going from North Texas to Kentucky. And then uh, there are some more, but Nick, out of these transfers, these big ones, which one is the most impactful immediately? Uh, well, I, I think the biggest name, even though he, he struggled with injuries this year and, and came up short of what most people expected production-wise, Rocket Sanders uh, going to South Carolina is, is kind of interesting. There's a connection there with the coaching staff. Um, you know, I, there were there. I think of things uh, now <laughs> a little bit more in a, a fantasy mindset than than I used to. Rocket Sanders was, you know, number one to to three uh, at the running back position, pretty much all off season. I mean, he was expected to be an All American caliber player this year for Arkansas, and and just really never. It seemed like he was full strength, missed a good chunk of time, came back toward the end of the year. But, um, uh, you know, he, he I think, is the uh, the only player right now on this list who jumps out to me as being a potential elite All-American caliber player. I think Marcus Carroll is a really, really good running back, has been very, very productive at Georgia State. You know, this year uh, just just was excellent, was, was one of the best running backs in the Sun Belt, certainly at the group of five level. Um, and going to Missouri seems like a great fit. Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz and, and you know, his system and, and his coaching staff has done a really, really good job of lining up running backs to be successful. And we've seen guys transfer into Missouri and, and uh, take a step up as far as their level of competition. Cody Schrader being the most uh, you know, the best example, he's all American caliber player this year was a, a division two player. So um, definitely think that Carroll has the potential to be very productive. Um, Deion Burks really flashed at Purdue early in the season, um, tailed off a little bit. And that offense was, you know, not great. Uh, Chris Paul, one of Rocket Sanders uh, former teammates who's in the portal going to Ole Miss, we can expect a lot of uh, transfers to, to head to Oxford to follow him. Um, and, you know, there, there are a couple of offensive linemen to Colorado on this list. You mentioned Tyler Johnson, uh, also Justin Mayers from UTEP. Uh, Colorado also added two starters from Indiana. Um, so they're, they're getting bodies there to try to rebuild that line that really struggled and, and you know, quite honestly, put Shadur Sanders in, in uh, harm's way more often than than not, it seemed, especially at the end of the season. Um, but, you know, offensive linemen are, are uh, hard to come by. And, uh, you know, top caliber players um, aren't really available, or at least not in, in large numbers. So a team like Colorado, has the ability to go out and, and bring in a lot of guys um, and, you know, for their sake and, and for Sanders sake, hopefully it'll come together, but um, you know, only a, a couple of them 
uh, right now are, are listed among the you know top 50, top 100 prospects. Uh, so we'll see how it all shakes out once you know the the song ends and the musical chairs, whatever uh, terrible analogy I'm trying to make. Um, but you know, will will a lot of these teams improve by a, a lot significantly at at major positions of need? I'm not so sure. Like I said, I think Rocket Sanders right now is really the only uh, elite caliber player, and and even he is you know coming off a really disappointing season. Xavier, when you look at uh, the rest of these top recruits, the non-quarterbacks that have uh, already transferred, who is the one that stands out to you as making the biggest impact immediately? I don't want to be a cop-out and also say Rocket. I mean, Marcus Carroll is going to be huge. He's going to go into Missouri and, and, and have to replace the production of Chandler Schaefer. Um, that's massive. Wait, why you say that? Why you look at that like that? <laughs> why you like that, Nick? Cody, Cody Schrader. Cody Schrader. Cody Schrader. I'm sorry. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why I said Chandler Schaefer. Um, that's, a, that's actually a kid I went to school with. He was our kicker. That's a crazy problem. It sounds, sounds like, I mean, wherever he is now, he's in a frat or something, you know. Oh, definitely was for on the, the finance sector. Yes, and yes. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> um, but obviously, he's gonna have to replace f- replace the produ- production uh, of Missouri's, uh, you know, former running back, who pretty much I won't say carried them down the stretch, but his, you know, him him turning it on down the end of last year's season, um, or this year's season, really, um, really, I think took that team from just being an elite passing team to giving themselves a real balance to help down the end of the year in some more, you know, bad weather games and also just, you know, adding balance to a team. It's why they were able to kill Tennessee. I mean, he obliterated that team. Um, another one, Raymond Cottrell going to Kentucky. I know he hasn't necessarily had, you know, the career so far that, you know, his his high school, you know, 247 rating would have thought him to have, you know, coming out of Miami, coming out of Florida, being a four-star, uh, you know, just hasn't had that level of production that people thought he could have at AM. But you're talking about a team in Kentucky that just hasn't had a lot of good receiver play over the last year or two. Um, the last one that comes to mind is Wondell Robinson. And obviously that was what two years ago now, uh, where they could really lean on, 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 a, on a receiving core to, to get the job done. Um, they've added him and Brock Vandegrift. Seems like they've already tried They're trying to, you know, get not only, younger uh but guys that they can hold on to for a couple of years right um i, I think they enjoyed Devin leary to an extent but i think they felt you know they, they want to get a little bit younger at the position groups uh for kids that have multiple years of eligibility so they can build that offense a little bit more especially with them being able to hold on to stoops i think that's massive in that regard um and then will lee going from kansas state to a&m this was a secondary in a&m that's probably going to get pretty hit hard by the draft this year um i know for a fact antonio johnson's leaving um or i have a good idea that antonio johnson's leaving uh but that that texas a&m secondary just needs a little bit of an infusion of talent um you know they're losing so many guys to the portal obviously just talked about Cottrell uh from a&m but they need some infusion of talent there um, and they're going to need some guys to come in right around, right, right away and hit the ground uh, running. I mean, they've lost, I want to say like 40% of that class that came in, that vaunted class in 2021. Um, they've lost a large majority of it. Obviously, Walter Nolan, uh, most notably, just entered the portal himself, uh, The I think the number one rated kid in the country that year. So they need some talent immediately. Uh, I think Will Lee gives them some of that. Um, 
and I think you know, like I said, he's I think he's only got one year, year of eligibility because he did do the community college or the JUCO route. Uh, but he's gonna be a guy that comes right in and, and needs to be impactful. Um, he's gonna have he's got he's got SEC height. Um, definitely gonna need to put some weight on. Uh, he's six three, a buck eighty five. Obviously, people are gonna tell you you can't play with that you know that weight, but you know. Get them in the right weight in the right weight room. These kids spend a ton of time around their their trainers, and they'll get them put them on the right food program to get them where he needs to get to. I think he can be rather impactful for that team um, as well. I want to read this statement from uh, CFB Winning Edge that uh, we mean, of course, no offense to uh, any fraternity members or uh, people who work in the uh, financial sector, or uh, you know. Former high school kickers. Uh, so, so just want to, for the record, put that out there. Mm-hmm. All right. I will abstain uh, from what is going through my brain right now. Coaching changes. Let's go there. Uh, Duke is bringing in Manny Diaz. He was, uh, of course, a head coach before, and he uh, c- comes over from Penn State as their DC. James Madison is going with Bob Chesney from Holy Cross. He was their head coach. And Tulane is going with John Summerall from Troy. And the Troy job is now open. Which one of these uh, coaching changes do you like the most? Which one do you dislike? And what do you think of them all, Nick? Uh, well, I mean, John Sumrall, so far, all he has done as a head coach is win. I mean, there was a, a brief moment where it looked like Mark Stoops was headed from Kentucky to uh Texas A&M and John Sumrall was immediately uh considered the overwhelming most likely candidate to to end up at Kentucky so um as a you know conference champion head coach uh moving to Tulane a place where he had uh, you know some history um it seems like a a great hire for Tulane if they're going to lose Willie Fritz, you know, they, they pick up uh, one of the best available options to, to replace him. So uh, that one seems like a home run. I'm not sure if if I were in his shoes, I would have uh, gone out and said Tulane is going to win the national championship uh, anytime soon, as, as he uh, did, uh, you know, in, in the early days of his tenure there. But, hey, you know, all the guy's done so far is, is win. So, um that to me seems like a really, really good hire. The other, the other two certainly could work. I mean, Manny Diaz uh, had some success at Miami, got squeezed out uh, somewhat, you know, controversially. I, I didn't feel great about it at the time, but you know, understand he, he never really, I guess, had the reputation. Didn't didn't seem like he was the kind of guy who was going to be able to get Miami to that elite national championship level where they really want to be. Um, But the guys had a lot of success as a a defensive coordinator at at several stops, put together a really, really good, one of the best defenses in the country at Penn State this past year. And and Duke has uh, played some really good defense under Mike Elko in recent years. So it seems like an opportunity where he'll be able to go in. The expectations won't be nearly as high as as they were at Miami. He's probably not going to get squeezed out uh, in the same, you know, kind of situation because there's, uh, you know, not really a, another a Duke alum that the boosters are going to be 
uh, trying to to go in and and hire above uh, Manny Diaz like they did with with Mario Cristobal. So certainly, I think could could work out. He is a good coach, and, and I expect Duke will play uh, some pretty good defense under his watch. And then you know, Bob Chesney did did a really good job at Holy Cross. Um, they were, uh, you know, I, I put the most effort into FCS power rankings this year than I have in our history. And, and Holy Cross, Holy Cross uh, ended up missing the FCS playoffs, but graded out as a top 10 team most of the year. And uh, they you know, had a lot of success there. It is. Um, there are some, you know, it's Patriot League team, but there are some similarities with, uh, you know, like the Ivy League and, and things like that. High academic standards um, can be you know, a little bit difficult to uh, recruit to sometimes, but they they won a lot of games and, and played a really uh, you know, fun brand of football that that seems to be like a, a potentially good fit at James Madison. And I know that the um, the quarterback at, at Holy Cross entered the transfer portal, I believe uh sluka is his name matthew sluka perhaps um if he ends up at james madison you know that that seems like a really easy transition to make and and they'd be able to hit the ground running and and uh, potentially be very much in the mix in the sun belt again actually with a chance to uh go to the conference championship game next year i do believe so um all of these i think are are quality hires there really haven't been uh, very many or or you know, really any major that comes to mind higher so far this cycle that has just left me scratching my head and, and, you know, what are they thinking? Um, they, they, everybody, I think seems to, to have a, a chance to succeed. And, and these three, I, I believe are, uh, definitely, you know, in, in a, a pretty good spot to, to do well. So will it work out or not? No idea, but, uh, these three seem like Pretty strong hires. Xavier, when you look at these uh, three hires, who stands out to you the most? Um, first off, it's, Manny Diaz is, is is definitely a huge one for me. Um, he gets another chance in the ACC. Um, the way he kind of got pushed out of Miami to a degree, I always felt rubbed me the wrong way, especially because of the fact that, like, Miami didn't really fire him right away. They said, look, if we can't get Crystal Ball, you're still in. But if we do get Crystal Ball, you're out. Like the fact that they that they kind of played this window with him, that, that I just felt like you know he was actually beginning to turn somewhat of a corner. I know you know Miami fans might disagree with me, but at the end of the day, the one thing Manny Diaz has been in his time, you know, you know, as a coach, is a great recruiter. Um, that's the pro- that's not been a problem for him anywhere he's gone. And I think so. The big thing that he'll you know obviously he'll find a challenge somewhat at Duke. But I also think that, you know, he has an opportunity to do to really put together something there. Um, A guy who I think never, you know, I think deserves another shot, obviously understands the ACC, probably recruited somewhere in the North Carolina area at his time in Miami. So this isn't too far away from where he's been um, or what he's done before. So I I really love that move for them. Um, And a guy who's a culture guy. I think when you look at Manny Diaz, even, you know, in the in the stumbling blocks that he's had at Miami, he had at Miami. He was still very much a culture guy, very much a a player's coach. Um, he's gonna go in there and, and you know get the guys right, you know, and, and also be very favorable. I think with the media, the 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 players, the the staff that he'll be walking in and that he'll keep, and the staff obviously that he'll bring on. So I love Manny Diaz to Duke. Love John Summerall Tulane. 
watch John, John Summerall, you know, turn Troy into a um, one of the worst teams to play defensively in, in, in the Sun Belt. You know, every week in and week out, they were physical. They played with a hard hat. They, you know, they literally went in there sometimes understanding that they had to to win with their defense. And that's a guy who's going to go into Tulane, and I don't think Tulane necessarily will miss a beat. Um, I think he they, they understand how good he was at Troy um, and how he took a Troy program who was kind of fledgling before John Summerall got there. He was extremely good in the past um, and then obviously, you know, had a little bit of a dip. He came right in. Um, and I think, you know, by the time he left, left it better than what he found it. Um, so, yeah, I, I like John Summerall to Tulane. Um, like I said, I've said this before on the podcast, I am biased to all Tulane success. Um, and I th- I feel like John Summerall, do you agree? <laughs> um, I feel like all I feel like all Tulane success will continue to go with John Summerall as their head coach. All right, let's get to some of these bowl games. Now, uh, there are a ton on Saturday. We have what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six on Saturday, one on Monday, and one on Tuesday. So, and none, none on Wednesday, which is kind of strange, but we'll take a day off, I guess. But let's start out with Saturday. And uh, it's the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Georgia Southern versus Ohio. The official line here is Georgia Southern by three and a half. And the total is 48 and a half. Nick, who do you like in the Myrtle Beach Bowl? Well, so real quick before we dig into these, uh, we do at CFB Winning Edge always have part of the reason that we have had the level of success uh, that that we've had um, is that our projections, at least in our team strength model and our talent edge model, do our very best to account for opt-outs, injuries, guys leaving for the NFL draft. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, also, we uh, I know a lot of folks out there do the uh, bowl confidence uh, picks or if you join us in the, uh, the Campus to Canton uh, bowl game contest. Um, I'm not sure I haven't filled mine out yet. I, I hope you don't have to, to do them all at once. Um, but if you do, you know, keep that in mind that, that we release these officially in our, you know, normal, uh, schedule. Uh, but instead of on Tuesdays in the campus to Canton discord, C2C winning edge tiers, uh, we're going to hold them until Thursday to try to get as much information as possible. If there is a last minute, injury or opt out or, or something like that uh, to try to give us the, the best chance to, to really, um, you know, get the best look at it. So uh, with that in mind, you know, with, with this game um, we've got Georgia Southern favored uh, in all three of our projection models. We'll focus mainly on the team strength model because it does the best job of, of looking at uh, opt outs and things like that. Oh no, excuse me. I misspoke. Um, we actually have uh, kind of a, a wide range in, in this one. I was getting confused with the next one. Uh, our team streak projection, Georgia Southern is favored, but we do have Ohio to cover. Uh, in the talent edge model, we give Georgia Southern, uh, um, uh, you know, have them projected to cover by a pretty uh, large margin, have it almost nine points uh, in our projected spread there in, in the talent edge. The prism model, which does not take into account those injuries and opt-outs because that is only uh, you know a, a stats only model that one actually has Ohio uh, 
favored by four and a half points. So this one is really impacted by opt-outs. Ohio, um, Curtis Rourke is in the transfer portal. Um, he was, you know, took a visit to Wake Forest. Um, there was a thought, you know, maybe he wouldn't go to the transfer portal. He would go to the CFL, uh, would, ex- would be expected to be maybe the number one overall pick um, in the, the CFL draft. Uh, sounds like he, he has NFL aspirations though. And, and, you know, maybe a power five, uh, option would be in the cards for him. Uh, but it's, it's not just Curtis work. It's Saban Gura, uh, O'Shawn Allison, their top two, uh, running backs. Uh, also Tyler Walton, Miles Cross, Alec Burton, you know, among their, their best pass catchers. Uh, and then linebacker Key Thompson, one of the more productive defensive players all of those guys are in the transfer portal um that doesn't always mean they won't play this time last year there were a bunch of western kentucky players in the transfer portal and almost all of them played in their bowl game uh so we we kind of have to you know do our best to project who uh is is least likely to play and it does sound like rourke is uh, actually, it's official that Parker Navarro is going to get the start for Ohio. Um, the, the official team Twitter account uh, put that out. Um, I, I think that's the only official word, but doesn't sound like we're going to get uh, Bangora. I wouldn't expect we're going to see Miles Cross or Tyler Walton. And then I think Jacoby Jones is still out due to injury. So uh, we will have an opportunity to see Sam Wigless, it sounds like, in his last uh, college game. Um, but otherwise this Ohio offense is, is, uh, going to be undermanned. Uh, they are, they are going to be without some of their very best players. That doesn't seem to be the case at Georgia Southern. I think right now, the only player we have, uh, listed as, as being in the transfer portal is Bo Allen backup quarterback who, you know, wasn't even really the, the second stringer this year. Cause I think he had to sit out as a multi-time transfer. He's headed back to Kentucky, by the way. But uh, Davis Brin is back for his last college game. Caleb Hood, uh, his last college game. Darwin Burgess. Um, so that you know, receiving core for Georgia Southern seems like it's going to be pretty close to full strength. The defense is is uh, the weak spot, uh, but Isaac Walker, Marcus Watson, Trent, uh, both of those guys have had you know really strong seasons. Been very productive. Um, at you know their defensive line and, and linebacker spots respectively, uh, and they're going up against an Ohio offense that you know is is going to be uh, much less than than full strength. So um, I do think, and I said this, I believe uh, on the show last week. I know I've said it in, in other places as well. There is a a chance. I think our our limited history, um, and especially last year, I think part of our success. Um, against the spread and, and our record was the market and odds makers react to opt-outs, react to you know guys who aren't going to play. Sometimes they overcorrect. Um, so with this one, we are hoping that's the case a little bit with Ohio. We're hoping that Ohio's uh, depth and, and their success, they're going for a 10th win. Uh, Georgia Southern is is uh, you know been bowl eligible for a while, but is currently on a four game losing streak. Um, looks like Georgia Southern's in a much better spot, but you know I wouldn't I wouldn't write Ohio off in, in this one. So uh, we do have Ohio to cover. My level of confidence isn't 
super high on that because of you know who's going to be out for Ohio and and the number of guys who uh, they are likely to to be playing without. Um, but I do think that that there's definitely still a chance that a a good Ohio team going for win number ten, um, you know, isn't going to get completely outclassed by by Georgia Southern. Ends. Xavier, your thoughts here on Georgia Southern versus Ohio. Is there anything in you that will let you select Georgia Southern? Absolutely not. Absolutely. All conventional wisdom, everything Nick just said, I don't care. Give me Ohio by 50. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I really think it's going to be hard for Ohio to win this game with all the possible opt-outs and people entering the transfer portal. Um, But, I mean, crazy things have happened in these bowl games. That's why they play the game, right? If it was played on paper, I think many people would have Southern at this point. Uh, but I think Ohio has enough, uh, still has enough requisite talent to get it done. Uh, you don't get to where they've been uh, this year and amass the amount of wins that they do have, um, you know, to, to let it all go just in, in, in a singular bowl game. Uh, on the flip side, I think Southern, after hitting its peak of the season, which was beating us, I would like to say, um, I think they, I think either A, people really kind of figured out what they were trying to do. And I think Clay Hilton finally, people finally kind of figured out what Clay Hilton wanted to do with them. Um, or B, they really just, it felt like at times they just burnt out down the stretch. Um, and for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to see what Georgia Southern's able to do with them being the first game. I'm excited to see how many people think Georgia Southern still runs like the triple option. Um, and the first time they watched Georgia Southern like drop back the pass, they're like, oh, they moved into 2023. It's like, yes, uh, they have. So I'm excited to see um, this game personally, just because obviously I'm going to be rooting against Georgia Southern. Uh, but I think Ohio can win this game. I, like I said, I think that you don't have that much team talent just for a couple of guys to decide to hop in the transfer portal slash, you know, um, opt out um, and, you, and you fall short. All right, let's go over to the New Orleans Bowl, Jacksonville State versus Louisiana. Jacksonville State is a three-point favorite, 59 and a half is the total in this game. Nick, do you have a good feel one way or the other in this one? So this one, our our projections do line up uh, a little closer to the odds makers. Don't have any, you know, huge range uh, or one team favored in in one model and the other uh, in the other. Uh, This one, we do have Jacksonville State um, projected to cover in both our team strength and our talent edge models those are the two that do take into account you know the opt-outs and, and things like that who's actually on the roster and expected to play in this game but you know louisiana is is uh, tough to beat in the new orleans bowl this is sort of a home away from home uh for the program um jacksonville state is in a little bit of uh, unfamiliar territory i i definitely you know, think that they will be highly motivated. That's that's not something we're going to probably talk a lot about in in these uh, particular games because I think most of these teams are are uh, you know motivated to play. And and even though there will be some opt outs here or there, um, uh, you know, it it there's I don't know. We're we're not going to see a, a major drop off. I think in in just overall uh, quality most of the time. And and Jacksonville State, to my knowledge. Everybody is expected to play. Um, I think Louisiana has one player who is uh, in the transfer portal um, right now. But, you know, Jack State, a couple of interesting things that jump out to me as far as their stat profile. They are number one in offensive place, offensive pace, excuse me, uh, nationally in terms of the amount of time between snaps. 
Um, they move very, very quickly. Get to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball as quick as you can. Um, they are 12th in, in plays per game, but um, just that overall time, they, they move quick. They run the ball a lot. Zion Webb at quarterback. Uh, he'd been in and out of the lineup a little bit, banged up a little bit, um, ineffective at, at times. Logan Smothers had uh, an opportunity or, or two to, to maybe wrestle that job away, but uh, seems like now Webb is going to be the guy, and, and they're going to lean pretty heavily on a talented running back group, Malik Jackson, Ron Wiggins, Anwar Lewis. Um, seems like all of those guys are, are full strength now. There have been some injuries there as well, uh, but this is a top 25 defense. They are number 24 nationally in defensive team performance overall. They are top 20 against the run. Um, and Louisiana is, uh, you know, they're, they're fairly balanced, but they are a pretty strong rushing attack. Joseph Kabodi uh, and Draylon Washington, solid one-two combo. Um, and they are down to their third string quarterback after Ben Wooldridge and Zion Chris went down with injuries. Uh, Chandler Fields steps in. He's an experienced player, uh, was technically a returning starter coming into the season, even though he ended up third on the depth chart, um, but has, has had an opportunity to play. And, and you know, they're going to be uh, a fun team to watch, I think. Um, they're, you know, the, the talent numbers – our numbers, roster strength, have been very, very low on Louisiana all year. Um, they're in triple digits across the board, just don't have any you know, elite-type players, but they're an experienced group, a lot of seniors on both sides of the football. Um, and they, you know, their offensive numbers so far this year have been uh, better than their defensive numbers, so this is a little bit of a strength versus strength situation. But the fact that Louisiana's, you know, less than 100% and has struggled a little bit. They did get the big win over ULM to get bowl eligible, but prior to that, uh, lost four out of five games. And, and Jacksonville State um, was very much in the mix. You know, they're they're an eight-win team. Uh, had to, to get a little help to get bowl eligible as a first-year transition team. But uh, to me, they're, they're just, I think, a little bit better. You know, they grade out a little bit better talent-wise. Uh, and just across the board, you know, their on-field team performance, uh, especially with that top 25 defense, I think, leads me to, to uh, feel relatively good about Jacksonville State winning this game and covering, even though it is a little bit of a road game. But I think that Jacksonville State fan base in their first ever bowl game will be very excited. Well, uh, you know, that they will have a presence in the New Orleans Bowl for sure won't be, I think, a you know overwhelming Louisiana home field uh, advantage, and, and think that that this is a game that Jacksonville State can and and you know maybe should win at least according to our numbers. Xavier, your thoughts on Jacksonville State versus Louisiana? You got a uh, poll one way or the other? I mean, Louisiana in this bowl game is like an impenetrable force for the most part. They're Five and one in six appearances, and that's what's vacating a couple of them uh, that I've counted. Um, and I mean, it's going to be a home game for these guys. They're so their fan base is so used to making this trip. I I, I would bet. Um, I will say Jacksonville State's not too far away um, in some respects, um, and they will 
probably have a, a, a large enough contingency. Uh, they're not, you know, like I said, they're what Jacksonville State's, I think, four and a half hours away, um, being in Alabama. So they shouldn't be too far away from me. I'm going to make this trip um, and be able to show out. Uh, but Louisiana, for me, ha- has too much of too much going in the right direction for this game. I think Jacksonville State might be a more talented team. Um, I think Louisiana sputtered a lot this year, but that was to be expected. At some point, you were going to sputter with all the talent that they've lost over the last couple of years and also losing your head coach, obviously, with uh, Billy Napier being at Florida. Uh, but when, when you watch this team this year, they just felt disjointed at times, um, I will say. Um, to the to, to the defense's credit, I, I do believe that they got better as the year progressed. Um, you know, they, they started off pretty woeful defensively. Um, back by the back half of the season, they they we were able to hold some teams, Georgia State most notably, uh, South Alabama as well. Not not bad teams uh, by any stretch um, under their yearly totals. Um, and the offense, I think, turned someone of a corner in, in three of your last four games, um, averaging thirty plus in those ball games. Uh, so I think they come in, maybe maybe they come in with a little bit, um, and I'm talking about Louisiana here, maybe Louisiana does come in feeling a little bit more confident yeah. about themselves um, with amassing so many losses at the beginning of the year and turning someone of a quarter down the stretch. So I'm going to take Louisiana here. And I think she's agrees with me. Louisiana? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to take Louisiana here, not only for the home field advantage, but I think they come in the more confident team uh, with the back half of the season and the way that they played. All right, let's go over to the Cure Bowl, Miami, Ohio versus App State. The line is App State by six and a half. The total is 44 and a half. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, players missing and opt outs for App State here. Miami has not been I know they haven't been high on talent rate rate ratings here, but they've been playing hard. Great defense, great special teams. They seem to win close games. I think I like the Red Hawks here. How do you like this game, Nick? Yeah, so we we do have App State favored in all three of our projection models, but um, all three do line up on Miami being able to cover, and and I think I feel pretty good about that. I I, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, talent wise, um, App State is is the more talented team. Uh, but that hasn't really mattered for Miami this year. I mean, we just saw Miami uh, beat a far more talented Toledo team in the MAC championship game. Um, there is a little bit of a concern uh, because Miami is is down to its third string quarterback. Uh, Brett Gabbert had the uh, horrible uh, leg injury middle of the season in the first Toledo game, I believe it was. Um Good news is he'll be back at Miami in 2024. Um, but Avion Smith, who stepped in and and you know led that Miami team to the MAC title and and you know finished off an 11 win season uh, to this point, double digits in the regular season and then conference championship win. Um, he has has entered the transfer portal and and will not play in this game. Henry Hessen. Uh, sophomore will get his uh, first start of his career. I imagine he'll lean pretty heavily on Rashad Amos, um, who is has really stepped up and and been a productive running back, sort of a uh, you know carry a fairly heavy workload at times towards the the tail end of the season. Um, but hopefully we'll get to see Gage uh, Larverdane a little healthier than than he has been in a while. He's also going to be back 
in 2024, which is good news. Um, so this Miami offense, even though they are going to be without uh, their top two quarterbacks, I still I still feel that um, they're going to be in decent shape. I mean, they're they're the type of team that plays good defense, try to keep the ball away a little bit, keep it a low scoring game, and and um, you know do just enough. Uh, let the defense, which ranks 26th in overall team performance defensively, uh, 20th against the pass, 10th against the run. And one of the other things that is great about bowl games that I think uh, has helped us uh, do well numbers-wise, we make our defensive production point updates uh, before bowl games. It's really, really difficult to keep those um, as updated as I would like during the course of the regular season. There's just not enough time to, to go through uh, the stats on the defensive side of the ball uh, for every team every week. Try to update them, you know, in a few batches here and there at, at you know, certain checkpoints. But uh, the major update is, it happens right before the bowl game. And, and, you know, Miami took a huge, huge step uh, in, in a positive direction in those roster strength numbers on the defensive side of the ball because – Guys like Caden Woolard and, and Brian Ugwu, uh, Ty Weiss, uh, Yashin McKee, Michael Dowell, all added double-digit points to their individual player ratings based on the production they had this season. They already have Matthew Solopak, who's you know one of the, the top linebackers in the country, at least from a productive uh, standpoint, over a 100-rated player. But you know now that those other updates have been made, you know, we've got guys in the high high 80s, low 90s um, now at all three levels of the defense. So this Miami defense is legitimately uh, top 40 right now in roster strength. That'll change a little bit as we go through an update for all the bowl games. Uh, but they're playing certainly like a top 40 defense. And, and you know, according to our numbers right there at a, a fringe top 25 level. App State has been far better on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the passing attack has been much better than I expected with Joey Aguilar, who also did not uh, start the season at, at quarterback. Uh, but, you know, they've got a couple of key pieces in the transfer portal and Nate Noel, not 100% sure if he's going to be uh, out of this game, but I wouldn't expect to see him. Probably going to see Kanye Roberts at, at that top running back position. Uh, Deshaun Davis. Uh, who has been a, a, a you know quality slot receiver for uh, that App State offense so far this year? Uh, he is also in the transfer portal, so wouldn't expect uh, him. But you know, this App State defense has also added some production points. Guys like Santana Hopper, true freshman edge defender Nate Johnson uh, has has been really really good this year. Um, but you know, on the field from a production standpoint and from a statistical standpoint, uh, Miami's just been, you know, much, much better on the defensive side of the ball. And I think even though the quarterback is a big question mark, I, I think I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's an overwhelming edge to App State that their top 40 offense may be without their best player and Nate Noel. Um, arguably, you know, two of their top four or five players uh, with Noel and, and Davis. Uh, are we going to see that same top 40 offense? And, and if we do, you know, that Miami defense 
um, matches up really well anyway. So App State absolutely could win this game. They are the more talented team uh, from you know top to bottom. But you know Miami's in the midst of a, a really really special season. I, I know they want to end it with that twelfth win, um, and I think their defense is is good enough to uh, get them a win or at least you know give us a good shot to cover if App State is able to to squeeze it out by less than a touchdown. Xavier, your thoughts between uh, Miami, Ohio, and App State in this game? Yeah, I think uh, um, I think App State, up until the Sun Belt Championship game, was probably playing as one of the best teams in the country. Uh, this is a team I thought started off extremely slow, uh, but turned a corner. Obviously, knocked off uh, ranked James Madison in overtime there in uh, in middle of November. I mean, it was really rolling. I mean, you look at some of the wins that they had after their loss to Old Dominion in October, um, and they obliterated some teams that at the times of playing them were, at some pretty, were, were pretty good still at the time being. Um, you know, beating Georgia State 42-14, uh, Marshall 31-9, Southern, as we just talked about, 55-27. I mean, they just ran into the buzzsaw that was Troy um, in their Sun Belt Championship game, right, losing 55-27. to um, On the flip side, I think Miami of Ohio – even though they have the better record, when I look down the the, the back half of their season, the, the the wins in some respects are are impressive, right? You you, you shut out a really bad Akron team, uh, but you still only put up 19 points. Um, you know, you beat Toledo 23 to 14 um, in the MAC championship. Impressive. The one thing that concerns me is their offense. Um, can their offense go with apps? Um, their their offense is not something that. You really are, um, you know, running home and, and talking about, you know, they won the, the the MAC championship. They won with the quarterback completing six passes. Um, so, you know, you, you really have to ask yourself if this does become a shootout, can they keep up um, with an App State offense that at times this year, as you alluded to, uh, uh, Nick, has been able to be really explosive and really good, especially um, – in a, in a balanced fashion, right? Using Kanye Roberts, um, you know, and Nate Noel, and, and even guys like Anderson Castle, who have who have had you know similar games. Um, uh, most notably, he had you know six carry six carries for sixty three yards against uh, Georgia Southern. Also added a touchdown in that game. So it, it's definitely a, a different of styles here. Um, I think if App State can make this a shootout, that favors App State. But if Miami of Ohio is able to keep this close. Um, and, and their defense can make enough plays, and that leans on the side of, of uh, Miami of Ohio. Um, if anything, though, I've learned in these bowl games is the teams typically with the with the better offense is, is where I like to side because um, I feel like, you know, the old adage is defense travels. Um, but nowadays I feel like we're, we're, we've gotten to a place where in college football your offense kind of can travel on, on its own as well. And so many teams have now become so offensive-centric. Um, that it don't really matter where they go play, you know, rain, uh, sleet or snow, they can still produce at a high level. Uh, so give me App State and give me a, a higher end offense against a Miami of Ohio team that I think relies on its defense a little bit too much. All right, let's go over to the New Mexico Bowl, New Mexico State versus Fresno State. The line here is New Mexico State by three and a half. The total is 51 and a half. Seems like maybe there is an unfair a geographical advantage in this game, but that happens in a lot of bowl games here, Nick. So your thoughts on the New Mexico Bowl here? Yeah, when when there is a legit home field advantage, and I believe South Alabama this year plays at its home stadium, um, 
we do go ahead and give the full, you know, home field adjustment of two and a half points is, is our standard. Uh, I didn't add any to New Mexico State. Maybe I I should have. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an in-state game, uh, relatively close by. They're familiar uh, as a program with uh, Albuquerque quarterback Diego Pavez, uh, an Albuquerque native. Um, so there is definitely a lot of familiarity and, and uh, going to be, um, yeah, probably a little bit of a home field advantage there, certainly compared to Fresno State. So you you could convince me that, that maybe we should throw a, a point, point and a half in, in New Mexico State's direction. That would change things a little bit because we actually have Fresno State favored in this one. Um, our team strength model, it's by a uh, little more than half a point. So if we did uh, adjust for a, you know some home field advantage for New Mexico State, that would uh, put us on the New Mexico State side to win the game outright. But, you know, still we would certainly have uh, Fresno State to cover. And, and all three of our projection models actually have Fresno State uh, favored in this one. A little bit of a, a surprise to me because New Mexico State has been so good. 10-win team, two of their losses are to an undefeated Liberty team. Uh, and, and then they you know, uh, lost in, in sort of a unexpected fashion on a uh, faraway road trip to Hawaii. And then, you know, in week zero, uh, what really looks like one of the more head-scratching losses in college football, looking back on it. But um, were beaten pretty easily by UMass. This New Mexico State team is, is a, a much different team now. Um, they have a, a really strong rushing attack, top 25 in rushing team performance. Uh, it is deep. Guys like Star Thomas, Jamani Jones, Amante Watkins all have, uh, you know, had big moments and, and big games. Diego Pavia uh, can run it as well. The question is, will he be playing? And if he is, will he be full strength? Because somewhat uh, unexpectedly, he wasn't able to, to play um, the majority of the second half against Liberty in the Conference USA Championship game uh, with a, what I believe was an elbow injury, at least a, an arm or upper body injury. Uh, will he be full strength? Will we see Blaze Perlovitz, uh, who, who really looked <laughs> pretty exciting uh, in our first real extended look um, as a true freshman, you know, stepping in for Pavia. Uh, Eli Stowers, the former four-star quarterback signee at Texas A&M, who trans, you know, transitioned to tight end there, ended up transferring to uh, New Mexico State looked like he was going to get a shot to play more quarterback, uh, maybe you know, uh, step into that role uh, if Pavia were, were to move on after this year. I'm not 100% sure on his uh, eligibility. Um, but it seems like Stowers is back in, in you know, tight end, but also wide receiver, uh, a little bit of wildcat quarterback. So uh, Berthowitz is, is the guy, I guess, if, if Pavia can't go. So a little bit of a question mark there. Um, but this New Mexico State offense is, is a lot of fun to watch, uh, especially the you know rushing attack, and, and they can hit some big plays down the field. But it does sound like they are going to be without Trent Hudson, a uh, big play wide receiver who is in the transfer portal, is, is making 
visits elsewhere, so I would not expect he will be back. Jonathan Brady has, has been, uh, you know, those two have been a one-two combo, uh, really solid. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who will step up with Hudson likely out, or is is New Mexico State just going to uh, really lean on that that rushing attack? Fresno State also hasn't been 100% healthy at the quarterback position. Mikey Keene missed a little time when he has been back in the lineup in, in the month of November. It was with a just a massive amount of tape on that ankle. He's, he's had other injuries uh, that he's been working through this season. Hopefully the, the time away will get him back and, and closer to, to full strength. Um but I think that that Fresno State, quite honestly, has a little bit more to work with from a playmaking standpoint. Even though the the team performance numbers haven't been great, they're middle of the pack, 77th overall uh, on offense, 72nd passing, 81st rushing. Um, I think that there's a chance that we will see a healthier Fresno State team. You know, Keen has been limited. Malik Sherrod started the season uh, quite limited, um, but Fresno State has guys at, at receiver who can make plays. Eric Brooks, Jalen Moss, uh, Jalen Gill all have had their moments at, at different points in the season. We've even seen, you know, Josiah Freeman uh, and, and Magdalena make plays. I mean, they've, they've got a really deep wide receiver core that I think is got the potential to, to give New Mexico state a, a little bit of trouble. Um, and then, you know, defensively team performance numbers are, are right in the same range, but a factor that we cannot, uh, put into our numbers is that uh, head coach Jeff Tedford is, is not going to be there for Fresno State. So it, it sounds like it's just going to be an interim situation. Um, he's taken a, a, you know, stepping away from the team for a medical uh, issue. The plan, I do believe, is for him to be back in 2024. Um, but Fresno State will be without its head coach. How will that factor into you know preparation for this game or, or play calling or uh, game management, clock management, not sure. Um, I do think that these two teams are, are fairly evenly matched. I understand why uh, the, the market and the odds makers have New Mexico State favored, especially as close to home as they are and, and potentially with a little bit of a home field advantage that uh, we could have adjusted for but, but chose not to. Um, but I also think this is definitely a winnable game for Fresno State as well. I think they are a more talented team top to bottom, a deeper team, um, and maybe uh, a slightly healthier team as well. So uh, this game definitely could go either way, but it is a, a one where we have uh, what we would say the, the wrong team is favored. And I, I could certainly see uh, Fresno State going into Albuquerque and, and coming away with a win. Xavier, do you think New Mexico State can win this game, or do you think uh, Fresno State too talented even on the road? Yeah, I, I find myself really thinking about you know how New Mexico State got here, um, you know, doing so pretty impressively, right? Obviously, the big win over Auburn is the one that everybody will look at, uh, but we you know they we they we talk about them just beating Jackson State, yeah, Jacksonville State, a team we just talked about just a second ago. Um, after watching them play live um, against Liberty. That's an offense that can go. Um, now, I understand Liberty's defense also isn't the most elite bunch um, and has given up some high score totals all year, but uh, watching that game definitely made me think that they have a better chance against Fresno State coming in this week uh, than possibly if I had not have watched that game um, and thought that, you know, Fresno State's offense was just going to walk all over them. 
I think New Mexico State got a shot, man. That offense, you know, you know, going toe to toe with Liberty all all the way up until the fourth quarter was really impressive, and they did so efficiently. Um, you know, Pavia only had to throw sixteen times for a buck eighty eight and three touchdowns. He also ran for one. Um, they just were they, they were they were really efficient in that ball game. I mean, even the backup quarterback, ten of nineteen, one thirty four, one touchdown and an interception. I think they can run with 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 uh, Fresno State and, and possibly score with them. And if they can, it's going to be one of the better you know games over the early bowl period because both of these teams, I, I think you know, or I think the thing that I thought coming into this game was going to be the major difference was going to be Fresno State's offense. Um, but if Fresno State's offense can't you know create that sizable gap. We might have a game that you know is really close going into the fourth quarter. You know what? Let's let's give it to New Mexico State, man. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. I I think that this is a team that this year has defied everybody's odds. Um, you know, me and you know we talked about it maybe a couple of weeks ago that that New Mexico State was not supposed to be in this situation, um, and they they've continued to surprise, and I think they give us a surprise again um, this week. So yeah, give me New Mexico State. Give me the Aggies. All right, let's look at the L.A. Bowl. It is UCLA versus Boise State. Another maybe not fair geographically, but you want people to show up to this game, bring in the the hometown team. UCLA is a four and a half point favorite. Forty eight and a half is the total in this one. And as we mentioned before, Boise State, their QB did transfer out uh, green, but he was benched earlier. So I don't know. Is I know Latu is not going to play for UCLA as he prepares for the NFL draft, that's a huge loss for them. But I don't know, Nick. I think the talent discrepancy might be a little bit too big in this one, and I think UCLA walks away with a big win. How do you see this one going? Our our projections would agree with you. Um, this is a what's been a really good spot for us this season, especially since week five, week six, I believe it was. Um, won our you know, conference championship uh, game where where all three of our projection models were on the favorite to cover. That was Troy. Um, and this is our first in bowl season. UCLA, uh, we have as a 7.25 uh, point favorite in our team strength model, 8.65 in our talent edge model. Again, those are the ones that do adjust for opt-outs and things like that. Uh, but the stats only model, the ones that you know, only look at past performance, also has UCLA as about a five-point favorite. So um, they are going to miss Liatu Latu. Uh, anybody, it doesn't look like you guys are, are looking at the sheets right now. Anybody want to take a guess at what his updated individual player rating is, which remember, this is our first year where they do go over 100. I will give you a hint that he is over 100, has been all year. 115? Yep. Higher. I'll say, uh, whoa, okay, <laughs> one twenty-five higher. Oh my god, one thirty-three. And this is the guy that really only played two years, right? I mean, he yeah. he had medically retired, I think, at one point. Or been I think he'll have to be. I, I think he'll fall in the first round because of the medicals. So, but he's been just uh, incredible. I mean, sixty-five uh, uh, pressures this year, something like that, according to PFF. Um, nearly 20 uh, tackles for loss. I mean, the guy's just incredibly productive, incredibly disruptive. They will miss him, but this UCLA defense has been great this year. They're number three in defensive team performance. Their pass rush is off the charts. Latu is a big piece of that, but Grayson Murphy, Gabriel Murphy, um, guys like Kane Madrano, 
Darius Musal, Carl Jones Jr., the the you know starting linebacker uh, group. They've been a part of that as well, and and I think we'll get to see a little bit more of it with Latu out. But UCLA lost their uh, defensive coordinator, um, who's moved on to USC, uh, and there's going to be a little bit of a transition there because you know Danton Lynn really turned around this unit. I mean, with Latu and, and the Murphy twins, the pass rush numbers were always pretty good, uh, or were already pretty good. But Lynn came in and actually made this a good defense, uh, took advantage of, of a talented group that is top 10 right now in, in defensive roster strength. So um, this isn't going to be exactly the same UCLA defense without their best player, without their defensive coordinator, play caller. Um, there are some questions on the offensive side of the ball as well. Ethan Garbers uh, you know, has been in and out of the starting lineup. Dante Moore um, is gone, transferring. Uh, you know, Colin Schley, we've seen a little bit, but at the running back position, Carson Steele, it sounds like, has missed a couple of practices. Um, not sure exactly what his situation is moving forward. There have been some transfers out, you know, at the tight end position, the offensive line position. On defense, I failed to mention two, uh, you know, one starter and, and another uh, contributor in the secondary or in the transfer portal. So, um, UCLA is, is definitely less than 100% roster wise. Uh, but I still do think that they are pretty much significantly better than, than Boise State because Boise State's also down to their third-string quarterback. C.J. Tiller, true freshman. I know at Campus to Canton, our guy Brandon Sanders, really high on, on C.J. Tiller. Um, you know, did a, a deep dive on him in, in the uh, Future Freshman podcast. But uh, that that's that's a little bit of a concern, right, going up against a defense that has been as good as UCLA and, and still has – some really productive, talented players. Uh, Boise State should be able to run the football. George Halani, it sounds like, is in his last game. Uh, Ashton Genty has been, you know, one of the best running backs in college football all season. Um, so Tiller might not have to do all that much, um, but you know, will Boise State be able to to match up defensively? Uh, team performance numbers are mediocre at best. They're 86 overall on the defensive side of the ball. They've had some injuries to that that side of the ball. Uh, they have had their own really high, you know, high number of production points. Pass rusher Ahmad Hassanain has 19 production points this year. Andrew Simpson at linebacker has 14 production points this year. Um, both of those guys are, are you know, very very good players. Have had uh, great seasons, but I just don't know that that Boise State has the depth, and and unless uh, you know George Halani and and Ashton Genty more specifically is is probably the best player on the field in this game, um, unless they just take over and and are just making huge plays, uh, I, I think that UCLA is going to be able to to win this game, especially since you know. I, I'm not sure we can trust a true freshman CJ Tiller and really his first action uh, to go up against a, a power five defense that's been one of the best in the country so far. So I feel pretty good about our numbers being on UCLA to cover. Uh, I'm not as interested, even though it is in the same city, uh, putting a big home field advantage number on, on UCLA to keep this as a, a zero neutral field. Um, but feel pretty good about UCLA. 
Xavier, your thoughts between uh, UCLA and Boise State here. Is this one where just the talent discrepancy is too much? But sometimes we see bigger schools not get the bowl they want, not show up with a lot of energy. This is early in the bowl season. How do you see it going? Yeah, I almost inclined to agree with you on some of the things you said, Scott. I just don't know, you know, how locked in this Utah, you know, this UCLA team is going to be. Um, and for some of these bigger programs, especially one that, you know, I feel like, you know, kind of sputtered after a, a, a fairly hot start, um, you know, sputtered the rest of the way. You know, obviously they have the very impressive win over USC um, in that game, but you also fit in there getting absolutely shellacked by Cal. Um, you know, you, you have a game where you, you do what you're supposed to do against a Colorado team, um, and then you put up a dud against probably the worst team in the Pac-12 or one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 against Arizona State. Um, and, and they've just had so much of a, you know, a rotating door at the quarterback position this year that you really don't know what's going to be made of what happens when they get out there. Um, and that's, that, that's concerning. Obviously, you know, Dante Moore no longer there, or at least in the portal at, at, as we speak currently, um, you know, Ethan Garbers has been Ethan Garbers at times, um, for the good and the bad. Um, and I just don't know if they even know who's going to be the starting quarterback, much to what Nick said. I, you know, I think both of these teams have to kind of figure out the quarterback situation on the fly. Um, but I'm more inclined to lean on, on Boise state. I, I think, that Boise State, you know, was impressive to a you know to a fault during their uh, their conference schedule, winning their four winning all uh, the last four games, um, and doing so pretty pretty impressively. Um, you know, doing so a lot with the offense, um, averaging thirty eight points in their last four games, uh, putting up three forty pieces in that time frame. I think obviously. You know, they're, they're going to have to do that with a different QB. But that shows an offense that maybe has turned somewhat of a corner going into bowl season. Um, and if I lean on what I said earlier about picking offenses going into bowl games, I'd lean on the side of Boise State here. Um, UCLA's offense just has not been able to show me that same kind of production since October um, where they beat Stanford 42-7. to And they haven't got – and, you know um, – and outside of the USC game in November, but it's been extremely spotty. Uh, so give me Boise State here uh, to win this game. I think UCLA is going to be missing some of that high-end talent on defense that they've leaned in, leaned on all season. Um, and I don't know if they have what it takes offensively with uh, the quarterback uh, carousel, uh, the quarterback carousel that they have um, at UCLA. All right, let's go to the next bowl game here. We've got the Independence Bowl, Cal versus Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a three-point favorite in this one. 57 and a half is the total here. Uh, two solid teams, both very inconsistent, Nick. Who do you think wins between uh, Cal and Texas Tech? So this is a game that also lines up uh, like, like UCLA. All three of our projection models basically spit out the same number, but all of them were uh, a little bit higher than... Uh, that Vegas Insider consensus line that, that we use for our official grading purposes. So um, we have UC, uh, excuse me, we have Texas Tech favored by right around five and a half points in all three projection models. Um, I personally am less optimistic in this one than I am the the UCLA uh, matchup. Texas Tech has has really been dealing with some transition. 
um, their receiving group in particular, they, they lost most of their uh, you know, well-known uh, receivers to the transfer portal. Miles Price, um, John Bradley, uh, the, let's see, uh, Tyler King, Luke Fungi, uh, you know, even a little lower on the, the depth chart, guys like uh, Nehemiah Martinez, their second string running back, Cameron Valdez. Uh, they are potentially going to be without two starters on the offensive line, including Monroe Mills, who's one of the highest rated offensive linemen in the transfer portal. Um, the good news is Taj Brooks not only is coming back for 2024, but is going to play in this game. Um, and in that receiver group, toward the, the last couple of weeks of the season, um, we've seen Koi Eakin step up and, and be a playmaker. We've seen Dre McCray as well. I had personally pretty high hopes for him as a transfer from the FCS level coming in um, was a bit of a, a disappointment. Perhaps that's my fault for setting expectations too high, but um, took him a little while to transition, but he's been, you know, a productive return man. He's also uh, stepped up and, and uh, you know, shown some of what made him a, a highly uh, thought of, you know, player, all conference caliber player at the FCS level. So perhaps, you know, that group with Baron Morton, uh, who is now the unquestioned starter. Tyler Shuck not only uh, has been out with injury, but he is now gone and committed to Louisville, as we mentioned uh, last week. So, you know, Texas Tech offensively, the numbers, especially throwing the football, are nowhere close to what we expected. Um, they are 99th in passing team performance, uh, which, you know, with, with uh, the performance that we saw from uh, offensive coordinator Zach Kitley at Western Kentucky and, and you know, seeing uh, or at least hoping that we were going to see some similar numbers as far as the passing attack goes. They just haven't come close really in the last couple of years, but this year especially, but they have adjusted. They have uh, evolved and, and, you know, they look at Taj Brooks and say, you're the best player we've got. And, you know, go out and, and uh, take over the game. And, and he's done a really good job of that. So um, I do think that Taj Brooks is going to be able to, uh, you know, come up big potentially in this game. I do think even though Texas Tech is, is going to be without some of their more well-known receivers, seems like things were trending a little bit toward um, Eakin and, and McCray uh, getting a little more work um stepping up a little higher in the the pecking order uh and then you know Xavier White is is in his final game I believe so you know there's there's still hope I think for Texas Tech they are going to be without Miles Cole the edge defender who uh is already preparing for the NFL draft I'm unsure if Steve Linton similar uh position edge rusher has been been a good player off the edge for Texas Tech, uh, he's been banged up for a while, so not 100% sure if he's going to be back in this one. Um, but Cal is, is you know, Xavier mentioned that they just blew out UCLA in the, the regular season finale to get bowl eligible. There's a lot of confidence there, and they've got some really good players headlined by Jaden Ott, uh, Jeremiah Hunter, uh, at running back and wide receiver, respectively. But 
guys like uh, David Reese, the transfer from Florida, has had a really good year as a, a linebacker for Cal. Xavier Carlton, edge defender, has is, is had a really, really solid year. They've got a starter, a uh, true freshman at linebacker, Cade Uliave, who's, who's really come on strong in the second half of the season. So um, there is, of course, you know, some, some transfer uh, issues that Cal's going to have to deal with. The secondary, uh, two of their uh, contributors back there are going to be, um, I, I think, out in this game. A little bit of depth on the offensive line as well. And then quarterback, they're, they're uh, now backups, guys who had some starts earlier in the year. But Sam Jackson and Ben Finley, both in the transfer portal, leaves Fernando Mendoza as, as pretty much the only guy. Um Going to be interesting to see if if Cal is going to be able to, uh, you know, carry the momentum of that three game winning streak that that got him into this bowl game, and take care of business and and beat a, a Texas Tech pull off the upset. Um, I think it certainly could happen. So, like I said, I'm I'm a little less optimistic in this one that Texas Tech is is going to cover for us. Um, but this one really truly could go either way, and I think that perhaps. There's reason to, to think that the market is over-adjusting a little bit on the Texas Tech uh, transfer side of things. The offensive linemen, I think, are going to hurt a little bit more than the receivers, um, especially if they do want to lean on Taj Brooks to, to you know put the game on, on his shoulders. And um, I think it, it definitely could work out, but uh, this, is, this is certainly a winnable game for Cal. Xavier, your thoughts on Cal versus Texas Tech? Do you have a lean here? I'm, I just know there's going to be a lot of good running. I, I think that's a really good way to describe it. <laughs> um, I want to say Cal. I just feel like when when I when I watched them play this year, I, well, first and foremost, they had an offense this year that I think I gen, I genuinely could you know fathom week in and week out and could stomach. Uh, so that that's that was a change a little bit from the last couple of seasons. Um, but this offense is, I mean, explosive is is the only way I could put. It. I mean, they put up what thirty plus, I think seven or eight times this year. Um, that's you know no no slouch from a team. I, I think one year we were talking about fairly recently. I think average like seventeen and a half points. Um, so definitely an offense that can go. I mean, I think you know obviously you're going to be playing a team here um, in Texas Tech that's no no you know stranger to shootouts. Um, and no stranger to being able to put up points themselves. But I will say I think Cal's offense has been a little bit more explosive this year. Um, and Texas Tech, in the wins that they've had, have been a little bit more of a defensive slugfest. Uh, you know, beating Kansas 16-13, to beating UCF 24-23, um, you know, a close one earlier in the year that, you know, uh, that they lost, but losing to, to Wyoming 33-35 you know, West Virginia 2013, there's been a little bit more of a mixture in their, in, in their games this year between slugfests and shootouts where I feel like even in Cal's wins have been shootouts as well. Um, you know, most notably the Washington state game where they win 42 to 39. Um, and even in the loss to USC, obviously where they lost 50 to 49. So I think Cal's offense is a little bit more explosive. I, I feel uh, the need to lean in that direction as far as my offense is concerned. Um, but you, I think like, like to Scott's credit, this game could, could end in two and a half hours if both teams can get their run games together. 
uh, and, and can and can really show off, you know, um, what what they're what they're capable of doing. Um, as we come into this game, I think Texas Tech may feel a little bit more confident about themselves outside of the one shellacking you took to Texas. You were not as talented as Texas. We all knew that. Uh, but but they won three of their last four games to get here. Um, and I think they may be coming in with a little bit more confidence. I'm on the flip side. It's kind of a similar situation for Cal. Um, losing to a ranked Oregon team pretty handily, 63-19. Had to rattle off three or four, uh, you know, had to rattle off three or four to get to this point. So, it's going to be interesting to see which team can carry both, you know, similar forms to this point um, into this game and maybe can, you know, can roll with that confidence as, as they keep going. I'm going to lean on the side of Cal. Um, give me give me Cal in this ball game. Um, but I, like you said, I think it's whoever can get their run game going um, and can be explosive with it. I think it's going to be a lot of explosives in this game. Uh, but who can, you know, who can hit the biggest runs um, in this game, I think are go- is going to ultimately be the team that wins. All right, let's go over to Monday, uh, the 18th, and uh, you have it marked as uh, January here. <laughs> it is it is December still, but uh, WKU <laughs> versus Old Dominion in the famous Toastery Bowl, steeped in tradition, the Toastery Bowl, we all know. Uh, but there are some big mi- missing pieces here. ODU is favored by two and a half, 54 and a half is a total, but no Malachi Corley and a bunch of offensive linemen for WKU. Um, the leading tackler in the nation, Jason Henderson, not going to play for Old Dominion. So we do have a lot of missing pieces. This one's a little harder to figure out because of that, Nick. How do you see it playing? Are we? Is, is it confirmed that Malika Corley is out? That's what Thor told me yesterday, Thor Nystrom. Okay. So. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me, but the, the thing that, I mean, one, I know he's, got a senior bowl invite um i have not seen anything confirmed maybe, maybe he knows uh something i don't know or, or maybe i missed something but um one thing that uh, worries me just a little bit with this game and western kentucky is trying to guess who's in who's out because they were the team there were others i think but but they were the one that that was uh it, it sticks in my memory they had like half a dozen or more guys, starters, contributors, uh, enter the transfer portal last year, and most of them played in the bowl game. Um, Austin Reed, I believe, was maybe in the portal uh, at the time of, of the game. He's in his last game here. I think that uh, you know, there's there's uh, no doubt he will be playing, but um, – uh, WKU might be shorthanded. I know multiple offensive linemen, as you mentioned, are in the transfer portal. Uh, they will, I'm sure, going to be without at least one of their best defensive players, one of the best defensive players currently in the portal. I think there's a lot of uh, buzz that Upton Stout is going to end up at Michigan, it sounds like. Um, so they they will miss him. And if Quintavious Leslie and Vincent Murphy, the starters on the offensive line, uh, are going to be out, you know, they'll miss him as well. Certainly if Corley is out, um, they'll, they'll miss uh, his production. But uh, even without them, <laughs> you know, our, our projection is so heavy on WKU in this matchup that, that it probably wouldn't uh, swing things double digits uh, into Old Dominion's direction and try to try to uh, avoid you know just a, a massive massive number on wku 
I didn't even take Henderson out of the lineup for uh, for Old Dominion. There, you know, he had like 170 tackles or something crazy. Uh, has I think 320 or 30 or something over the last two years. Um, sounds like he will be out. The All American linebacker for ODU, uh, ODU, Jason Henderson. Um, but still, I mean, we we talked about it in the preseason that this ODU roster just stacks up as as really one of the worst in college football. They have far exceeded uh, their roster strength numbers. Uh, they are one twenty eight in overall roster strength. Um, they have played as far as their overall team performance numbers go. Uh, they're number seventy nine in the country this year. Um, offensively, not quite as good as we might have hoped with the offensive coordinator change coming in. Um, the the level of production that we saw at the FCS level, um, you know, was was off the charts. It has not been so far for Old Dominion uh, this year. Had some uncertainty at the quarterback position, but Grant Wilson has solidified uh, that spot. Has made some big plays, including a you know walk off. Uh, touchdown run to to get this uh, bowl bid in the regular season finale against Georgia State. Um, there have been you know different receivers step up one week or the other. You know sometimes it's Kelby Williams, sometimes it's uh, Romello Murphy. Um, it's been Javon Harvey, but he's already gone. He's he's transferred out to uh, Texas A and M. Uh, so you know this this ODU team, we've been underrating them all year. Quite honestly, we've been overrating Western Kentucky all year. It sounds like we are overrating them perhaps even more than we normally would because I do still have Malachi Corley in the, the starting lineup here. Uh, did remove the offensive lineman. But um, we've got WKU not only favored, but favored by more than a touchdown in all three of our projection models. So uh, this is one where we could end up looking really, really dumb. Um, but even, you know, even with us overrating – WKU, even with us underrating Old Dominion, at worst to me, you know, these are two pretty evenly matched teams. Um, and I do think that Western Kentucky's got a pretty big edge at the quarterback position. So, uh, you know, we, we will definitely be on WKU to, to win this game. I think it is a winnable game. Um, I think our projection, quite honestly, is off. I mean, if we're 11 and a half points um, off of, of what the odds makers and, and the market have, that's not a great sign that that's not necessarily a sign of uh, that. We know something they don't know. It's, it's just that, you know, we're, we're, we're off on this one still could work out for us. I do absolutely think the WKU uh, can win this game. Quite honestly, I'm a little surprised ODU is favored um, even with the, the potential, you know, players that, that West Kentucky is going to be missing. Um, but, yeah, there's there's definitely something funny in our numbers here. The the gap should not be this big. We could end up getting lucky and WKU wins this one. Um, could even you know win by by double digits. That that's definitely possible. But um, yeah, our numbers a little funny on this one, quite honestly. Xavier, your thoughts between uh, ODU and WKU? Are you on the Western Kentucky side like Nick is, or are you with the odds makers that have Old Dominion favored? So I really don't think that, that you know, ODU's record tells the story about how good this team really was this year. Um, when you when you look at their scheduling this year, so many of their losses, I mean, 
it's Nick. I don't, I feel like this is almost unprecedented to a respect. I feel like almost all of their games outside of maybe two or three were one loss or one possession games. Um, and so this team being six and six, I feel like it is not even fully indicative of how good this team could be. And the same token, not how bad this team could be in some respect. Right. Um, you know, you, you look at you look at the games that were, were more than one possession and it was Virginia Tech early in the year and a double digit loss to, to Liberty. Uh, but outside of that, you lose to Old Dominion, who was ranked at the time by three. Uh, you lose to Georgia Southern or sorry, you lose to App State by, you know, seven points. But you also only beat Texas A&M of Commerce by one. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the real question is what Old Dominion is going to show up <laughs> at this point. And so where your numbers may, you know, be or where the numbers might be, you know, kind of wild in that respect. It's also not too crazy to think that Old Dominion puts together a stinker, maybe like they did against AM Commerce, um, you know, and, and, you know, Western Kentucky runs away with this. On the flip side of that, they could come out ready to play um, and make it a really tough matchup. Uh, for a Western Kentucky team that you mentioned is going to be missing a lot of talent. Um, I feel like we have said this about Western Kentucky, like in, this is like the third consecutive bowl game. I think we've said Western Kentucky is going to just be missing a ton of talent, whether that be, you know, either Bailey Zappi going to the draft a couple of years ago, or, you know, just a lot of their guys ending up in the portal um, and being highly, you know, highly touted in the portal from, from, from the G5 level. Uh, but I'm going to lean on Western Kentucky because I just don't know what Old Dominion is going to show up. They're six and six for a reason at the end of the day. And I know Western Kentucky 75. So let's, let's not get, you know, let's not get crazy here, but I, I do think that Old Dominion, you know, having keeping, being able to keep these games close at some point becomes a skill, but I think Western Kentucky is just downright a, a better team. Um, and I just don't know what Old Dominion is going to show up. What, are, are they going to come out and give us a, 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 a lackluster performance where, you know, when you keep these games to one possession, some of these games you keep to one possession, you know, and, and it's because you didn't handle business and you weren't able to put a team away at the same time. It's not always just you were always competing and being able to keep it close. So give me Western Kentucky in this matchup. I think that they they can win this game and maybe they do end up winning this game handedly. Um, and maybe the numbers aren't off. Uh, I just feel like it's really hard to, to, to kind of put your finger on a team like Old Dominion where eight or sorry, 10 out of their 12 games have been one possession games. That's just really tough um, for anybody, you know, to decide. And I feel like the numbers are having a hard time kind of factoring that as well. All right, let's go over to the last bowl. Uh, the uh, UTSA versus Marshall is the last bowl. That's not the Toastery Bowl, is it, Nick? Which which bowl is that? I think we uh, might have got I did do uh, – yep, I, I uh, messed up there. Here, I'll just reset. That is the Frisco Bowl. Frisco Bowl. That's right. Okay. Let's go to the Frisco Bowl here. UTSA versus Marshall. The line. This is the biggest one we have. It's UTSA by 12 and a half. The total is 52 and a half in this game. Is this a game that UTSA just, I mean, it is, you know, obviously close to a home game for them. Uh, is this a game where they just go in and wipe out Marshall? What do you think happens in this one? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I mean, could they? Yeah, any anything can happen in a bowl game. We could see uh, a forty-seven to, to three. Um, I feel like in in any non-playoff matchup, quite honestly. But I think that the odds are um, that this is going to be a competitive game. Uh, you know, UTSA being favored does not surprise me. Um, they, you know, played really, really well as we discussed going into the 
the AAC championship game. Um, after Frank Harris took a little time off, got a little closer to full strength, this UTSA team looked way different. I mean, September was rough, but once they got into conference play and, and Harris uh, started to get a little healthier, um, they really started to look a lot more like the team that you know was was dominant at times in Conference USA the previous two seasons. So uh, they weren't quite able to to finish the you know the the deal and and came up short against um, you know came up short against Tulane. But this is a, a a team that is pretty you know pretty strong throughout. There are no major weak spots at any position group. You know they have one of the most productive and and best quarterbacks at the group of five level in Frank Harris, even though he's you know maybe not health wise um, at. at you know, the highest level we have seen him in his career. They've got some depth in the running back position. Um, they've got Joshua Cephas, who's going to be playing in this game as, you know, has a, a career as one of the better group of five wide receivers in the country. The offensive line is not at a hundred percent They're without Makai Hart, but um, a little closer to that, you know, perhaps than uh, they've been at, at certain points in the past. The biggest piece that they, uh, will be missing is Trey Moore, the incredibly productive pass rusher. Basically, you know, the Latu Latu of of uh, uh, the group of five. Trey Moore has, has been that level of productive and, and disruptive uh, for UTSA. He's probably going to end up at Texas, it sounds like. Things are, are trending in that direction. Um, but don't expect him to, to play in this game. But that UTSA defense beyond him is deep and talented and, and guys like Jeremiah Ligon have, have been incredibly productive um, throughout. They've got a rotation in the front seven. Uh, a lot of guys play, a lot of guys, uh, you know, will, will be able to step in and, and I think um, do a good job of, of stepping up for more who did miss a little bit of time in the early weeks of the season as well before UTSA really started to, to round into form. So, um, you know, they've, they've got guys who have stepped up and uh, with him uh, being out with more being unavailable. So I expect that will be the case here as well. Marshall, you know, there was a big uh, sort of dust up a little bit when Cam Fancher, the starting quarterback entered the transfer portal. Um, the, the, you know, coaching staff there, um, and and uh, Coach Huff, the, the head coach, uh, made a, a comment, oh, the fans hate him. Um, so that's why, you know, he ended up leaving. Uh, had to, to walk it back a little bit and, and tried to uh, sort of uh, rephrase a, a little bit in, in the days after. But um, quarterback's been a little bit of an issue, uh, you know, without Fancher, who is getting some, you know, power conference Interest. Not sure he's going to be a starter if he, he goes that route, but uh, he's a guy who has you know been a, a two year starter basically at Marshall. Won a lot of games. Um, they're going to I think miss him because he, he did come back and, and has had productive uh, spurts. Was limited by injury uh, a good chunk of this season, but sounds like either Cole Pennington or, or T.J. McMahon are, are going to be 
the starter in this game. Pennington has gotten the most playing time so far this year. So um, not sure it's official, but I would lean to him. Uh, the question I, I do have as far as, uh, you know, who's going to be available offensively for Marshall, Rasheen Ali is, is, uh, has accepted a bid, I believe, to the East-West Shrine game. Uh, he's also been limited at times by injury, uh, different points per, throughout his career, but in recent weeks as well. So, um, or this season, I should say. So will they lean on Ethan Payne? Will Ali not? you know, be able to play or will he be limited in this game? Not hundred percent sure. So Marshall's going to be less than hundred percent of what we would see in a normal week on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, unless I've missed some things, they are full strength. And this Marshall defense is very good. Uh, just solid. You know, they're, they're not quite in the elite top 10 uh, like they were in 2022 or 2020, uh, but this is a tough defense to, to face. They are 32nd in overall defensive team performance, 35th against the pass, 45th against the run. They are, I mean, just stacked in the front seven, really front six. They're, they're more of a, a four, two, five. Um, but Owen Porter, Sam Burton, Elijah Austin, Mike Green, I mean, as a, a quartet of edge defenders, uh, it's about as good as it gets. I mean, they are double-digit production points. Um, all four of those guys, Burton has been the leader this year with 15, but Austin also, I mean, Burton and Austin, I should say, lead with 15, but Owen Porter is, you know, a, a over 100-rated player. Linebacker Eli Neal is over 100-rated player. Um, Steven Dix has is, is, uh, been very good in, in his transfer a season from Florida State. Micah Abraham, one of the better defensive backs in uh the Sunbelt Conference so this this Marshall defense I think is capable of giving UTSA some trouble um the offense you know are they going to be able to, to score enough not sure um there was a stretch where Marshall was really really struggling middle of the season looked like things were maybe spiraling out of control uh, when you know they lost five in a row between NC State and, and App State, one, two, or three in in the you know month of November to to get to this point, and I do think um, that this Marshall team, especially if the defense plays to the the level of its uh, potential, I think this is a, a winnable game. Um, yeah, they're, they're double digit underdogs. Our projections have UTSA favored by between five and eight and a half points, uh, in all three. So we're, we're not expecting Marshall to win, but it would not shock me at all if, you know, this is a one score game, um, or, you know, Marshall even has a, a chance to win in the fourth quarter. So, uh, if Ali doesn't play, you know, our numbers would be closer to double digits, uh, but we're still probably pretty firmly going to be on Marshall and a lot of it has to do with that defense, which uh, has played pretty well and, and really, really looks good on paper also. Xavier, your thoughts on the Frisco bowl. Are you on the UTSA side or the Marshall side? UTSA. Sorry. I had to find a tap. Um, UTSA is definitely where I'm leaning. Um, I thought that they would compete a little bit better than what they did against Tulane. 
Um, I know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, memory serves me, like I did pick them to win that game. Uh, I just feel like this is a team that maybe didn't reach the heights that maybe we thought they could at the beginning of the year, um, at least record-wise. I thought eight and four is a li- is probably not as flattering as I thought that they would be. Um, heck, I think that I think I picked them to cover against Tennessee earlier in the year. Um, that one didn't look all that great either. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I just think. From that point of view, and being able to watch a Marshall team kind of all year, and and Nick alluded to it, sputtered mightily through the middle portion of their year. Um, you know, and and I think you know they had what a four game stretch there where they just couldn't find a win, right? Uh, or excuse me, the five game stretch there: NC State, Georgia State, James Madison, Coastal Carolina, and App State just couldn't buy a win, and none of those games outside of the NC State game were even close. Um, and really, I, I'm, I'm I'm. I'll be surprised to see what kind of Marshall I see on was this Monday, if I'm not mistaken, or, or Tuesday. Um, you know, I, because this is a team that, with such a bad stretch in the middle, and kind of turned the corner towards the end, but wasn't like you know a, a full on like four game winning streak to end the year. They still went what two and one to end the season. Um, that means you know in their last eight games, I believe they went. Or last seven games, they went two and five. Um, wasn't a great way to end the year after starting off in a hot manner in which they did, um, knocking off a Virginia Tech team, knocking off East Carolina, and obviously handling business against Albany. I'm just wondering what Marshall I'm going to get. Um, am I going to get a Marshall that's confident and understands what they can do, um, that understands that if their defense comes to play, as it has been the, the status quo for them over the last two or three years, they'll have a chance to win this game? Um you know, or am I going to get the Marshall that kind of rolled over there for a, a little bit of the season? I hate to say that, but, you know, offensively, they didn't show up. Defensively, they weren't great. They were just kind of lost for a second there. Um, you know, at that time, they were, you know, losing games 31 to 9, 20 to 9, 34 to 6. Just really weren't really fighting their footing. And obviously, you know, even looking there in, in the middle of November, losing 28 to nothing against, against South Alabama, who at the time, I think both of them were 5 and 5. So I'm just, Wondering what Marshall I'm going to get, um, you know, and, and where are they going to go on offense as far as the quarterback position is concerned. I'm assuming that they'll go with Cam Fancher. Um, but as Nick alluded to, he's – correct me if I'm wrong. You just said he was in the transfer portal, correct? Um, and it, found, it sounds like it was a lot of like a Jaden Daniels type situation that, you know, once he decided to leave, the school was like, yeah, we don't like you, bro. Um, you know, everybody remember that infamous Arizona State video that was posted, you know, after Jane Daniel left, uh, you know, uh, Arizona State. Get out of here. Hey, we don't like good anyway. Yeah, this guy sucks anyways. And then he goes off and wins the Heisman. I, 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 I wonder if Jaden Daniel sent a, a text to that old group chat if he was still in it. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna lean on the side of UTSA. This team is just, I think, way too talented to even be eight and four. Um, I think that they let a couple of games slip away this year that they just shouldn't have, most notably the first game of the year against Houston, um, losing that game 17 to four. Obviously we didn't know what Houston was going to be, but you know, knowing what we know now about Houston, that game was one that they allowed to slip away in my opinion. Um, and, and just a team that I feel like had higher expectations, didn't necessarily reach those expectations, um, but has an opportunity to end their season off on a good note, uh, beating a Marshall team that, you know, I think coming into the year, we probably also had a little bit of higher expectations, especially defensively. Um, uh, but, yeah, can UTSA here? I think they're more talented. I think they've been better all year. They've shown it. And like I said earlier, I don't know what Marshall team is going to really show up in this game. Um, and that 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 that's a, a large reason as to why I'm going with UTSA. All right. I think that is all the bowl games we're going to cover on today's show. 
that is it. This feels uh, this feels like a preseason show here, uh, crossing <laughs> two hours. But uh, hopefully, after editing, it will not be that long for you guys. That is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at campus the number two Canton at Xavier Trish, uh, Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E, and at CFP Winning Edge for Nick at Bogman Sports for myself. And that is it. We will see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>